was sharing with my fellow preacher, Rosemary Vance, was speaking at the fellowship uh, Friday week ago, and she was saying that she'd got her notes really quite big, but was still maybe not as pleased with her talk as she would like to be. My computer has jacked in, well, not the computer, the printer, not actually the printer, just the connection between the two of them this morning. And um, so I'm, I'm not in very big print this morning, so, um, so bear with me. The lectionary takes us into this fascinating John chapter 12 today. And as I was pondering over the week, I was thrown a little off balance by a little bit of it. But let me start with a story, a very powerful story. A man called Morton Kelsey was born to parents who didn't want him and was given over by his parents for adoption or whatever. For the first three years of his life, he was with uh, uh, an African-American lady called Clara, who was only 14 years of age, but was handed this child and loved him for three years as best she could. Then he was taken from Clara and thrown into foster homes and foster parents and all kinds of other scenarios. And by the age of 18 or 19, uh, the lack of love and belonging in his life, he decided life was meaningless, and he went out into the desert to take his life. And he explains that as he was out in the desert, ready to take his life, lying in the wilderness of an American desert, he heard the melody of the love of God the melody of the love of God. A tune came to him as he was lying moments before taking his life that told him very clearly in his senses of the love that God had for him. And he came out of the wilderness, still alive, wrote many theological books, perhaps some a little liberal for some among us, but lived a life with a family, a wife and family, very fulfilled. When he was 77 years of age, he got a message from a 91-year-old woman called Clara. He didn't know she existed. He didn't know he'd spent three years of his life with her. But he thought it would be quite fascinating to meet whoever this woman was. Clara had been searching for him for years, decades, and had finally caught up with him. And they met. I think actually they met in the resident home that Clara was now living in as a 91-year-old woman. They had a good time over a cup of tea, nothing startling until he went to leave and they said their goodbyes and she started to sing. And she sang the piece of music that saved him in the desert. It's an amazing story. Martin Joseph has made it into a wonderful song. And the song at the end of it, Martin goes, I hope all of us have a Clara. I hope all of us have a Clara. We'll come back to that as we go. 
God's love is transformative. Whether we understand it through a melody that we didn't know where we got, or whether we hear it in a sermon, or whether it was passed down from our children, our parents to children, or however it was, God's love is redeeming, restoring, reconciling, rescuing, resilience building. Sorry, the fourth one was a bit contrived, but I wanted to make them all R. In John chapter 12, we find ourselves in a very interesting place, because I've grown up with Jesus loves me, or Jesus loves you, or God loves you, or God is love. And God loved us so much that he demonstrated his love for us, which is a verse that we need to be thinking about as we go forward in this sermon. God's love was not just words, it wasn't just theology, it wasn't just scripture, it was something he demonstrated. (coughs) But this week as I read this passage, and maybe it was only me, but as I read this passage this week, I suddenly realized, and I'm almost, it's uneasy to say it, that Jesus needed love as much as I do. That Jesus needed to be loved. Here he is. I'm going to switch this one off because it's rattling away with me. I'm going to go on to this. Um, um, Jesus is with Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And if you're reading John through, then, you know, he's just brought Lazarus back to life. So you can understand Mary and Martha and Lazarus' excitement about having him for a meal. And you can understand Mary's incredible love for Jesus. But what happens in this story is this extravagant love of Mary for Jesus. A year's worth of perfume. Now, I've been in those duty-free I have actually been in duty-free on the phone with home. What would it be you would like? And it got so bad that I said, I'm sorry, can I hand the phone to you? And I handed it to the person behind the counter in the duty-free. And then I have put a card in a machine and realized how expensive this stuff is. We know how expensive this is, but this is a year's worth of stuff. That's a lot of perfume. And Mary loves Jesus to the extravagance of pouring this over his feet and washing it onto his feet with her hair, which brings a sensuality into play that, again, we're uneasy about when we open the scriptures, but we're in Ruth tonight, and there's a bit of drunken cozying up on that that I'm glad Ros is dealing with, not me. Here is this story where we find that God or Jesus is loved and that Jesus needs to be loved because he is not just fully God. He is fully human. And so as I read this story in John chapter 12, as we move into John chapter 13, where Jesus does to his disciples with water, it has to be said, not with perfume, what Mary did to him. And as we go into these last prayers and conversations with the disciples, before the Last Supper, before the Passion, before Jesus' cross and resurrection, all happening within days of this extravagant love of Mary. You wonder whether, like Clara's song, maybe this act of love, maybe the perfume in the senses of Jesus was something that carried him through these next difficult days. 
It sounds almost wrong that you would say that Jesus needed love. But if we get him in the fullness of his humanity, surely that is what we've got to be doing. Could these senses, could this smell in his senses have seen Jesus through? Of course, Judas comes into play, doesn't he? It's almost the first four verses that Kim read and we're into this intimacy of Mary and Jesus. And then in film, you would see the drama coming as Judas appears almost out of darkness already to try and throw that begrudging into the mix. And um, we're told a wee bit about Judas and we're told a wee bit about all kinds of stuff in this. But we see the destructive coming in amongst the building up of love. Love seems very basic in the Christian faith. I'm sure some of you were there, but about 1983 or 4, David Watson, who was the big speaker at the time, was in church house one evening, maybe for a few evenings, but I was there for one of the evenings. Very influential, very influential at the time, and I I dare say if any of us are over 50 here in the house, um, maybe some of us who were over 50 were there, I would imagine that Fitzroy was there because you were going through a kind of a David Watson kind of time. I remember going down with one of my friends from college. And when we came back into the college, um, we were treated with some suspicion because we'd been to hear David Watson. And one of our peers actually said to us, and I can't forget the way he said it. He said, oh, suppose he was talking about love. (laughs) Wishy-washy love. And I was standing there in a theological college and I was thinking, what's wrong with that picture? God is love. There's nothing wishy-washy about the love that Mary has for Jesus in the text that we were reading and thinking about this morning. There's nothing wishy-washy about the love that takes Jesus through the next couple of weeks of his life right through Gethsemane through the torture, through the injustice, through the cross itself, and out the other end. There is nothing wishy-washy when God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It was not enough for God to talk about his love. Love is not an idea that we talk about or even sing about, though the songs might be something that carries the love. The love that Clara shared in the song was the love that he understood he'd had eventually at the end of his life, at the beginning of his life. It's a way to share the demonstration, the demonstration of love. Love shapes the future. Maybe here, I'm stretching it, you might think, but I'm not the only one because I've read it a few times this week. Maybe here, Mary shapes Jesus' future. She certainly prophesies it. The burial perfume is going on and he's going to be buried very, very soon. Maybe in the love, maybe in the senses, maybe in this act, Mary shapes Jesus' next number of days. But one thing is for absolutely sure. Love shapes or can shape for the better All of our lives. Love shapes 
our future. Whether that future is the encouragement of Mark as he goes off to Tanzania to work in Africa, overseas personnel or missionary or whatever you want to call it, whether that's been those in Fitzroy that have got around him to support him in that and a session that sends him out in that, for those who've got around him and said you have the gifts and the abilities to do that, whether it's Mark setting out on that journey of his life or whether it's holding the hand of a mother or father as they come to the last days of their lives, whether it's being with people as they go through difficulties or whether it's Natalie and somebody asks her why she's doing this and she can say because my church wants to do this because we love you out with the homeless of an evening or whether it's a situation that happened in Four Corners where one of our politicians in the other side because Four Corners tries to get you in the other side if you're from the east we want you west and this was an east in the west in uncomfortable circumstances but as he got up and turned around at the end of the event somebody from the west says to the politician in the east it's good to know what you're doing Keep up, keep it up. And this politician's shocked because he got a little bit of love in the corner of the city that he didn't think he would get it in. Maybe needing it. Because all our politicians, whether they're causing the row or whether they're just politicians, are getting it. Marks of love at different times of our lives. And you can understand that when I'm talking about somebody getting up at a Four Corners event and turning around and finding somebody from the other side of the city, I'm not talking romantic love. I'm not talking kissy-wissy love. I'm talking about all those different kinds of love. The word in the ear. The pat on the back. The text when you need it. The letter that you were surprised at coming. The gift that says something that you didn't know about yourself or about the person that sent it to you. These little marks, little tiny things that shape people's future. Just those moments. I call them conduits of God's love. Conduits of God's love. Rose sent me off once when I worked for her. Everybody after I got away once a year, but I got away for one measly week in New Jersey. <laughs> no, that bit's true. <laughs> and, um, and I came back to this letter that had been sent from a committee I was on to tell the church house that I didn't believe most of the stuff I believe. I was on the committee that sent the letter, but anyway, it disturbed me greatly. Um, it knocked my confidence. It knocked all kinds of things around and I got a letter from South Africa from this girl that I thought at the time she might be worth marrying. And it was enough, just a letter to say, be yourself. I know who you are. God knows who you are. Be yourself. It's the same person who, when my mother died, just held my hand for a week because that was all the sense it needed. Or you'll find more humorously, three weeks after I came here, 10 years ago, I got up one Sunday morning and I got to the end of the bed and I sat down and said, Janice, what am I thinking about? I can't preach to Fitzroy. Look at the people that are in Fitzroy. Look at this. I can't preach to them. This is crazy. I need to get back before David Gray takes my place at 
uh, chaplaincy. This is madness. And Janice, who usually just lies on, knew that something was wrong and got up and came around and said, you can do this. You can do this. The conduit of God's love for us are in those little things that happen to us from the people around us. And Martin Joseph sings, I hope that everybody has a Clara. And you know what I'm going to ask is Fitzroy? Are we going to be Claras? Because that's what we should be in this fellowship. Claras to one another. Where we take our love and we make it a deep love. Where we encourage each other. Where we're there for each other. Where we put our hand around each other. Where we send a text when a text needed or we make the phone call. Where we come round with that bowl of soup. And then beyond that into the community. <coughs> that people know the extravagance of God's love because we love. I told you the Clara story before and I think I've told you this one. We're in the World War and they're at the Somme, I think it was, and two friends are fighting alongside each other, probably from Ulster if we know how many of our own, maybe even from Fitzroy who ran across that field. But they've had the battle and they're back in the trench and this guy realises that his friend's not there. And he says to his, whoever's above him, whether it's Sergeant Colonel, Captain, General, I don't know who it was, he says, I'm going out there to find him. And the guy's saying, no, you can't go out there to find him because if he hasn't made his way back, he's probably dead and you're going to be at the risk of being killed going out to see whether he's there or not. And his friends, the guy says, no, I'm going out to find him. And he goes up over the top and he goes and he finds his friend. And his friend's dying, as the guy back there suggested. But as he reaches him and he reaches down to him, the last words his friend says before he dies are, I knew you would come. I knew you would come. Shaping the future might not be a long future. But extravagant love shapes the future. It gives us the strength and the power to redeem, to restore, to reconcile, to build resilience, to bring salvation, to develop that salvation, to change the world. So I hope we all have our Claras, but I hope we become a Clara. And I hope that our futures are shaped by one another as we're conduits of the love of God for one another. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the extravagance of your love that while we were lost and had turned our back on you, that you came looking for us, that you came and found us, that you came and gave yourself the extravagance of your love for us is not that you talked about it, but that you demonstrated it to us in that cross and resurrection. Lord, we pray for ourselves. We pray that we would be those who would love each other. Your word tells us that everybody will know that we're your disciples when we love each other 
And so we pray that Fitzroy might be a place where people would know that we love each other. Make our love more extravagant. Make our love deeper. The people across the church that we don't even know the name of, may we at least get to know that name. May a smile on a Sunday morning in the coffee area or a pat in the back or a shared tear or a help with a shoulder to the plough or a hand in someone's hand, may we shape one another's future as the love of God flows through us to one another.